My name is Jenna and I'm here to help you do all the hard things. I'm a licensed professional counselor with nearly 10 years of clinical and research experience working with people who have some of the most debilitating OCD and anxiety in the world. I'm also a mom, a personal trainer, and a lover of modern spirituality. My goal is to bring you all of the guidance, research, and encouragement that you need to remember and know how strong you truly are. Now let's get to it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, you guys. If any of you were on my Instagram, then you know that I did an IGTV on the habituation curve. And this is just going to be a continuation of that. It's going to be a little bit more in depth. But if you haven't checked out my Instagram, I would encourage you to go to that IGTV because that one is really, I drew a diagram that really nicely kind of explains visually what's going on here. And if you are a visual person like me, then you'll still understand everything in the podcast episode that I'm about to share with you. Um, But there is also going to be one in the show notes. There's a link that I will post that will give you a really nice diagram of kind of what the habituation curve looks like. And that visual paired with my explanation here will hopefully be really helpful in just giving you an idea of the processes that are at work when you're anxious. And this is a really timely topic because I've heard from so many people who, with just the debate coming up and COVID, you know, just destroying so much and changing so much. And a lot of people, their work situations have been compromised in such a way that they're at home now more and just working in the mental health setting. I know that mental health is a huge concern, like now more than ever, for sure. And anxiety is one of the most common, if not the most common issue. And unfortunately, a lot of us, when we're responding to our anxiety, so when we experience that trigger and we're feeling that distress, we just act. We are in a society where we don't really advocate or feel strongly about sitting with those negative emotions. I think it's becoming more you know, widely touted as this thing that we need to accept and become comfortable with is sitting with uncomfortable emotions. But for the most part, when we're anxious, we want to get out of that situation as much as possible. So we don't really think about it much. And we don't think about what our behaviors are doing as far as the learning principles and the learning processes that are taking place in our brain every time that we engage with a trigger. And sometimes you might get scared to challenge yourself. I see this a lot. Sometimes people kind of present to treatment and they hear that this treatment works. They hear that they can get better in therapy, but they're not sure if it's going to work. So I want you all to know that this is kind of how your anxiety works when you are continuing to engage with it via these safety behaviors, via compulsions or rituals, and also the habituation curve, which is what happens when you surrender those behaviors and when you instead just kind of sit with your anxiety. So. Again, check out the diagram that are that's in my show notes. It will be super helpful. And head to my IGTV on Instagram where I actually draw it for you. 
So like I mentioned, OCD and anxiety are both relevant here. And really any fear response this is relevant for. I'm going to go through an example of a B because if you've listened to any of my stuff before, you know that this is one of my fears. But I also feel like the example of a B is just really tangible and something that people can kind of envision and grasp a little bit more easily. And as always, you can DM me on Instagram or email me at jennaoverball at gmail.com if you have any questions or an example that you just can't wrap your head around, and I'll help you try to conceptualize it. First and foremost, I'm going to talk to you guys about what your anxiety does when you flee it, when you avoid it, when you engage in rituals or compulsions or safety behaviors. So this is bad. This is what you do not want to do because it's going to make your anxiety worse, but this is what, unfortunately, a lot of us do. So imagine just a graph, so with an x-axis and a y-axis. On the x-axis, imagine that's time. And on the y-axis going up, that's going to be anxiety. So this is kind of the relationship between anxiety and time. When you are introduced to a trigger, whether it's for social anxiety or OCD or generalized anxiety or a phobia or whatever it is, you experience an increase in anxiety. You get uncomfortable. That uncomfortableness increases to the extent that you may feel the need to do some behavior. So if this was a graph, you would imagine me making like a big spike. So your anxiety is literally spiking just really quickly over time when you experience that trigger. These behaviors are what we call rituals or compulsions or safety behaviors and could be really any array of things that somebody does repetitively and with the function of decreasing the anxiety. So what happens when they get to a certain point of anxiety? You give in to that behavior, right? With some compulsion or anxiety, like I mentioned. And what happens is once you give in to that behavior, boom, the anxiety comes all the way down and it works almost immediately. So think of just a really quick spike. So it spikes all the way up, you do the compulsion, and then it comes right back down. So the result there is that the trigger or the um, compulsion, the safety behavior, works pretty damn well, actually. Your brain really loves this because it's a reliable reinforcement. It's something that can be counted on reliably. So if you think of it like you're training a dog to sit, when you give him a bone, when you ask him to sit, right, you give him a bone reliably right when he starts, like right when he sits. So you want to do it consistently. You want to do it every time he sits, especially once he's learning that behavior and learning that pairing of the bone and sitting. You want to do it also as immediately as you can to pair it with that behavior. So you're going to give the bone to the dog as soon as he sits, ideally, and you're going to do it every time he does it on command. This is going to help establish that relationship between you saying sit and you giving him the bone. The same thing is happening to your anxiety and your responses to it. It's just not a dog and a bone anymore. Essentially, every time you avoid a presentation or every time you ask for reassurance about whether something is clean or every time you wash your hands because you feel contaminated or every time you stay inside or exit the public setting because you're afraid of a panic attack, you're essentially giving the dog of OCD the juiciest, most delicious bone because It's immediately reinforcing you doing these behaviors. And as soon as you exit the public setting with a panic attack fear, you're going to feel better. That anxiety, that graph, that spike is going to come, boom, it's going to come all the way down. As soon as you wash your hands, you're going to feel better. 
Now, if you know anything about anxiety and how it works, you know that that anxiety relief is temporary and it doesn't last for long, right? So if you washed your hands, um, you'll feel better for a little bit, but soon enough, you're going to touch something else. You're going to feel contaminated again, or you might start to doubt that hand wash. And so back to the graph, uh, you're going to have another trigger because life happens. And you're just a hint, you're going to have more triggers the more you avoid them because that's life (laughs) and your anxiety is going to go up again. So it's going to happen again, the same as before, going to touch something else that's dirty, going to have to give another presentation, whatever it is. And because you gave the dog the bone last time by escaping the scary situation or washing your hands when you felt dirty, your brain is going to want to engage in the same behaviors. You're going to experience that rapid and effective decrease in anxiety once you do the behavior that results in relief. And you've kind of made an unconscious agreement that that was great and it worked and it's a great tool for next time, except it's not. So I'm going to, this is in the graph. You can just see your anxiety spiking and going up and then coming down and then spiking and going up and then coming down. And it's just like a, a ragged, like really, really steep, um, mountain, just up and down, up and down, up and down. So let me walk you through a bee example. Like I said, I don't like bees. That's not a secret. I freaking hate them. And let's say that I'm in a 10 by 10 room with one bee by myself. I notice the bee and my and my anxiety starts to peak, right? Like it starts to go up. Typically my safety behaviors in this situation would be avoidance. So I would get the F out of there may also call my husband because he's a sucker and he accommodates me with this one, even though he's a therapist too, and he should totally know better. Um, I might swat it away. I might avoid the bee if I can't leave. I might track it visually with my eyes to make sure that I'm safe and that it's not coming near me, so on and so forth. So I'm in this room with the bee. Let's say I escape the room. That's my safety behavior. Boom. My anxiety is gone. It's gone from up on that graph to now it's down. That was effective. It felt good. And I'm in the clear. Now, the next time that I'm in the room with a bee, what do I do? Boom, I'm going to leave again. And it goes on and on and on. And I keep leaving when there are bees around. And again, because these things generalize and snowball over time, my anxiety is soon not going to even be just in 10 by 10 rooms with bees. It's going to now generalize to different situations. So maybe in even more open spaces too that normally would have been okay before now are not going to be okay. So now maybe playgrounds aren't okay. Now maybe instead of just escaping the room, now maybe I need to have my husband go back and kill it. Now maybe just having my husband go in and kill it isn't enough. Now I need his reassurance that it's dead. Then I don't need his reassurance. I need to physically check for myself that it's dead. And then I go and scour the room and make sure there are no more. So see, this can get really out of control just because of how we are responding to our anxiety. And I bet you with a bunch of the people that I work with, they're so severe. They're some of the most debilitating and and just awful cases of OCD in the whole entire world. I bet if we could kind of go back several years, there would probably be a scenario or a couple scenarios where things could have gone the other way if they would have just initially taken that time and sat with the anxiety and didn't respond to it so consistently with these safety behaviors, I I always kind of wonder, like, where would they be at right now? Like when that anxiety first started to bubble up, I wonder if, if they were in a fork in the road and if they could have 
decided differently in that moment, would that have continued to generalize and snowball over time? And so these responses get out of control fast because they're so rewarding. It's so rewarding to decrease your anxiety. I mean, your brain has one function, which is to keep you alive and safe. So this happens again and again and again. And suddenly, for example, if you have agoraphobia, you're exiting all the public places. Suddenly, you're not even allowing yourself to go to public places. Suddenly, you're not just washing your hands before you eat. You're washing your hands with scalding hot water and multiple pumps of soap and washing all the way up to your wrists and your forearms and your elbow and beyond. And it's just out of control. But because you know better, and now you have an anxiety and OCD guru at your fingertips, aka moi, you know how to do hard things and you know it's good to do hard things, right? So we have to somehow reverse this process. And the good news is, is that it's totally doable to reverse that process. And that's where the habituation curve takes place. So first things first, what is habituation? Habituation is just a term to describe the natural decrease in your anxiety without you having to do anything about it. So I always think about it as far as like jumping in a really cold pool. When you get into a really cold pool at first, it it feels really cold. You know, the temperature of the water is experienced as being really frigid. What happens if you just kind of let yourself stay in there, your body gets used to it. And really the same exact thing is going to happen with anxiety provoking situations. It's just that usually we're so intolerant of feeling those negative feelings that we want to do X, Y, and Z, whatever we can to get out of that situation. So we engage in the safety behaviors and that's how things snowball, like I've mentioned. So usually with exposures, at least the way that I've done them, is we usually want a 50% reduction in your anxiety. So an exposure for me, like I mentioned, let's go back to the example of me being in the room with a, a 10 by 10 room with one B by myself. If my anxiety was a four on the zero to 10 scale, with zero being low and 10 being super high, I would have to wait in that room until I was a two. And that would be habituation, assuming that I didn't engage in any safety behaviors and that I was just chilling and sitting with my anxiety and letting myself kind of sit with that uncertainty and feel the the threat. So the same thing is gonna happen initially. I'm gonna experience that increase in anxiety it's going to go up and up and up and up and up as I'm with that B. But here's a hint. There's actually something else that really interesting, something interesting happens here, and it's called an extinction burst. But you'll have to come back to another episode for it. It'll be the next episode I release about what an extinction burst is. And essentially, it's the concept of things getting worse before they get better. Anyway, your anxiety is going up and up and up. I'm with that B. My anxiety is increasing. But after some time, because I'm sitting with my anxiety, it starts to kind of level off and plateau. And then eventually, even so, it comes down. And it's not just going to take a couple seconds like it would for me to hightail it out of the room or have my husband come in and take care of it. It's going to take a couple minutes, maybe five or seven minutes, sometimes more than that, for it to come down. And so This is where I think looking at the graph of the habituation curve will be really helpful because you can literally see your anxiety going up the same way that it would as before if you were just experiencing it normally, except this time you're removing the safety behaviors and you'll see that your anxiety, it it plateaus. So it stays anxiety provoking. It stays pretty awful for a couple minutes and then eventually it's going to slowly come back down. So 
Yeah. So eventually you come down by half, you've habituated, you've kind of successfully went through that exposure. Um, and you'll see that it takes longer for this to occur than just to exit the room. Like I mentioned, that's totally normal and it's to be expected. And I always kind of joke with people, like if it was supposed to happen that quickly, anxiety therapists wouldn't have a job, right? Like people would just be at home doing this stuff on their own and they wouldn't need the patience and the guidance of a professional. It shouldn't take 30 seconds and it shouldn't take 30 minutes or more, but somewhere in that range is to be expected. And the harder the exposure, obviously, the longer it may take. So you see it taking longer when you're in that situation, but obviously the anxiety is coming down naturally on its own over time without you having to do anything about it. And now let's say that you just are, you're doing this again. You're challenging yourself again, either on your own or with a therapist and I need to transition here and just say really quick, this is always going to be way better if you have a trained professional working with you. I encourage all of you, if you are finding this to be helpful, then to strongly consider a therapist. This podcast episode can't replace therapy. It's not intended to, um, but you can always just do these anxiety provoking things on your own. I think exposure work is ultimately a lifestyle. It's a new lifestyle um, kind of change that everyone has to adopt and These are just things that anybody can do. Anybody can challenge themselves. Anyway, so you do the anxiety-provoking situation again. The same thing happens again. You get anxious once more, but you don't get anxious as as much as you did before. Maybe the anxiety for the second time is a three, whereas for the first time it was a four. And usually it doesn't happen that quickly, that it goes down from the first time you do it and it's a four to the next time it's already down a whole increment. It's down to a three. It can happen that fast, but sometimes it doesn't. So the peak isn't as high either. So it's like the next time that you do that anxiety-provoking thing without those rituals, the peak for the second time isn't going to be as high. It's not going to be as anxiety-provoking for you as you introduce yourself to that new thing. And it's also not going to take as long to come down. So let's say the first time that you challenge yourself to just sit with the anxiety and not do rituals, it took seven minutes. Maybe the second time it only takes five minutes and that keeps happening and happening and happening. You keep having a lower and lower peak and taking a shorter period of time for you to habituate until eventually you're at a decent baseline. It doesn't really bother you anymore. And you're asking your lovely therapist to give you more and more challenging things. And that's amazing. Before I get into a second example here, I want to share with you guys this new offer so that you can get 25% off my favorite planner of literally all time. More after this. I'm so excited to share with you guys a planner that I've had for months now, and now I have an absolutely incredible offer so that you can enjoy it with me. I've tried yearly planners, blank diaries, and everything in between, all the way from back when I was in high school. Silk and Sonder is the perfect planner that I've been waiting for for years. Silk and Sonder is a self-care monthly planner and journal subscription service, including monthly, weekly, and daily planning pages, plus activities that change each month and are targeted to help with your self-care. You'll get coloring pages, recipes, habit trackers, journaling prompts, and more. Silk and Sonder offers monthly, quarterly, annual, and gift subscriptions. It's the first ever monthly planning experience aimed to empower you to live the life that you've always wanted. Inspired by a new theme each month, they hand curate, design, and deliver each issue straight to your doorstep. 
You'll love each month's blend of productivity and planning, introspection and mindfulness, and lifestyle content. I've been using mine for months, and I'll honestly never go back to a regular planner ever again. For 25% off your order, head to my website at jennaoverbaugh.com and click on deals. So I am back with another quick example just to demonstrate how these things apply really to so many scenarios. So let's do the habituation curve now with a social anxiety example. So let's assume someone is presenting, they are um, anxious about giving a school presentation. So normally after a presentation at school, they engage in a lot of safety behaviors like asking for reassurance about how they did. They may ask fellow students or ask their teacher how they did. They may even mentally review it kind of in their head to get reassurance for themselves about how they did. They feel really anxious. They ask for reassurance. They temporarily feel better. But as we know from before, they're going to need more of it. Now, let's say that they're going to try to challenge themselves either with themselves uh, just on their own, trying to, you know, challenge themselves more or they're doing it with a therapist. Um, now we're talking about the habituation curve. So they're going to try a presentation, but not ask for reassurance or mentally review or anything else. They're just going to sit with their anxiety and let it come down naturally. They resist, they give the presentation and they leave that presentation still feeling unsure, still feeling embarrassed and uncertain about how they did. They resist asking for the reassurance and they try to just sit with it. They resist checking their grade compulsively and saying degrading self-handicapping things to themselves like, oh my God, that was terrible. They're going to be anxious about it, and it's going to take some time, but it will come down naturally on its own without them having to do anything about it. And this person will eventually get to the point where they no longer have a heightened anxiety about that presentation, and they will have started the process of reversing a lot of that learning. So that's how the habituation curve works. And really, the moral of the story here is four big things. So number one, Be mindful of how you're responding to your anxiety and if you're giving the dog the bone, like we talked about before, except you're not giving a cute little dog a bone for a desired behavior of sitting, you're giving your OCD or your anxiety a ritual or safety behavior bone that's going to create more of that undesired anxiety and behaviors, which are you running away and avoiding whatever it is. Number two. Know that once you start to challenge yourself, it's going to take longer than if you were to just engage in these ritual or safety behaviors. Got to be patient and you've got to be willing to let that happen. Number three, know that as you continue to challenge yourself, it does get easier and it does take less time and effort for that anxiety to come down on its own. So things take less time, things get easier overall. Number four, last one, all about corrective experiences. So After we do challenging and anxiety-provoking things, after you ride that wave of anxiety and you come down, you start to feel really good. Like, oh my gosh, I did it. I can't believe I did it. You feel really motivated. You feel really good. And these corrective experiences are really great confidence boosters. So don't forget to celebrate yourself and the accomplishment that you made because it's really hard to change these patterns sometimes, especially when they're so ingrained and it feels really counterintuitive. So just be aware that you got to be sure to celebrate yourself. I hope this served you guys. Like I said before, DM me with any questions you have. DM me the next time you challenge yourself and let me know how this whole process worked out for you. I would love to know and share and you're celebrating with you. In the meanwhile, keep an eye out for another episode on the Extinction Burst, which I hinted at earlier. 
it's a really nice follow-up to this. And until then, make sure you keep doing all the hard things. For more information and resources, you can head to my website at www.jennaoverbaugh.com. From there, you can sign up for my email newsletter so you can make sure you are the most up-to-date about upcoming resources, podcast episodes, blogs, challenges, and more. Also, check me out on Instagram at jenna.overbaugh and tune in to some other episodes while you're at it. As always, if you have a free minute, it would mean the world to me if you could please subscribe and rate this podcast. Subscriptions and ratings help me keep the podcast going and help me spread the word to other women and people in general who need these resources and they would otherwise not get them. With that said, thank you guys again so much for tuning in. I love creating these episodes for you. And until next time, keep doing all the hard things.